Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. Today, I'm with the cast of the one-act play, Viable. We're going to talk about how the one-act play, Viable, is opening up conversations about abortion, helping pregnancy clinics fundraise in a new way, and inviting the audience to find hope as some consider their need for healing. I am excited to hear the story of the one-act play, Viable. I'm excited to have John Gazelle, Scott, and Kimberly on the podcast today. John, uh, please start us off by introducing yourself as if you were talking to a group of pregnancy clinic leadership teams, and then ask one of your cast members to do the same. Yes, absolutely. Um, A lot of leadership of crisis pregnancy centers and women's resources centers know us very well because since 2019 when we premiered this play in South Carolina we have over 13 and a half thousand miles um, performing viable in states like uh, Texas and Arkansas and Missouri and um, we've been to Washington DC we've been in Chicago we've been a lot of places in Florida and, and or South Carolina, where we're from. So uh, next week, this coming week, in Washington State at the Sela Summit, and after that, we'll continue back down into Florida and back to St. Louis, Missouri, and on and on and on. So this is a touring show. Uh, we work primarily as a fundraiser for crisis pregnancy centers and women's resources centers. We also perform in churches, at universities. Um, and in and community settings and event settings to raise awareness about the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and how it can help people who have lost children to death, including abortions, but also including miscarriage and stillbirth. So with that struggle, on a nation with it, we uh, we you know bring that message very powerfully audience. Our website is viableplay.org, V-I-A-B-L-E, play, one word, dot O-R-G. And you can see video of the play. You can see photos and backgrounds of these cast members and uh, understand what they do and where they come from and their professional They're all professional actors. So um, that's what we, that's what we're kind of about. And we'll get more into detail about the play and and how these characters interact with each other and how the story arc flows for the play. I'm the producer and the director, and God is the author. So uh, this was something that was very much inspired, and I was just the the typist, really, that took down God's dictation when it came to writing the play and the dialogue. Quite serious about that. So um, thank you for the introduction. Um, The play stars, I should say, I mean, there's one character in front of you right now who is on stage at the very beginning and she's on stage at the very end and she carries the entire story the whole way. And that's Giselle Gaffings, who is right now traveling, as you can see, across the state of South Carolina, um, coming back to the Greenville area from uh, where her mother lives in, in Rock Hill. That's why, you know, doing this on the holiday weekend, you're catching us in a lot of different places. So, G, if you want to tell us a little bit about you and your background and then get into Judy and how you created this character. Well, hello. Happy to be here today. I'm Giselle Gaffings. I play the character of Judy. Uh, I do have a background in in theater and some film and also voiceovers, and I'm also a singer-songwriter. The other side of my brain, uh, I work with... um, a brokerage with real estate and also do diversity and inclusion training, um, talking about talking about issues. Um, sometimes they, they can be quite like this, touchy and, and a little bit different, but having the conversations. Uh, my character, Judy, in this show, uh, she is post-abortive. She has been for quite some time and has not yet to deal with the pain and uh, the, the frustration and the anger of aborting her child. And we see how this has impacted her life, even in how she carries herself. We see how it has impacted her relationship with her husband. Uh, Scott will go more into that. And then we see 
how it has impacted her ability to even relate with the counselor that glues everything together with, with our show and, and even go towards the journey of healing and forgiveness and figuring out uh, how to release all the anguish that she's carrying. Thank you, Gazelle, for sharing a bit about your character with us. Scott, uh, please share a bit about your character and role in Viable. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I play the long-suffering husband of Judy, portrayed by Giselle. Um, despite what John said, I'm not a professional actor. Uh, I actually have worked for over 40 years in education here in Southern California. And... Um, you know, this was truly uh, uh, God's will. Uh, I wasn't looking for uh, an acting part. I was really uh, kind of getting into my retirement and John called me and, you know, once I read the play and, and did lines back and forth with uh, Giselle, I, I realized that this was an important message and, and I, I really, I was compelled to be a part of that message because um, my character, evolves from having one understanding to another understanding to another understanding. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, oh, oh. And I think as this character is going through those changes, I think a lot of the people in the audience are also recognizing, oh, okay. So that's what abortion is. So that's why there's so much pain. So a very compelling story and um, it's a blessing to be a part of it. Thank you for sharing, Scott. Kimberly, uh, please tell us a bit about yourself and your role in the one-act play, Viable. Yes. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Kimberly Jackson. I'm playing the role of young woman counselor. And um, basically, I had the opportunity of um, being introduced to this beautiful piece um, from Mr. Hoover and the Lord uh, through another theater I was doing a show in 2018 and they gave me information letting me know that this that he was looking for a cast so I took the opportunity to look through the um, synopsis and I really was inspired by what was written and what the storyline was about and I just really wanted to be a part of something that really is um, impactful and does have a deep meaning and just is going to change lives ultimately and I feel that it's a very important issue. Um, so I reached out and had an opportunity to audition and here we are today. And so I'm very blessed, very thankful to be a part of this. Um, so the role that I play is the counselor and I am the one who is working with Judy to deal with or to try to get her to deal with the issues that she has had um, being post-supported. And she has a hard time. She doesn't really know me. So it's very, she's very defensive, um, having a hard time opening up to me, a little angry. There's a lot of, it's almost a roller coaster ride, um, really, because we're going through so many different emotions to get her to finally acknowledge the pain and start healing. And um, it's just, there's a little secret, a little twist, you know, which I won't share anything now. You have to come see the play. Um, but uh, it's just definitely a blessing to be a part of this, uh, this piece here. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you for sharing, Kimberly. Uh, so, John, I'd like to go back to when you said that you listened to God to write this play. What was that experience like? Well, you can see behind me a lot of books on the shelf, and about 15 of those are books that I published, including a New York Times bestseller. I used to write for Disney back in the day. That's when I first encountered Scott, in fact, uh, and his family. He comes from a show business family. He can tell you a little bit about that. It has quite impressive credentials. But um, so I only point that out because I know what the experience is to write uh, screenplays, stage plays, uh, long form books. So when I'm not writing, but I'm just taking dictation from somebody who's telling me what to write, I know the difference. And so I really knew right away when God put it on my heart to put this play on paper, um, it was him instructing and, and actually doing the writing and I was doing you know, the typing. So with that in mind, um, you have to understand that, that what he created here 
is not a play about the politics or the legality or the constitutionality of abortion. It's a play, as I said before, about the redeeming love of Jesus Christ and how he can rescue a woman who has uh, been suffering for 30 years from post-abortive traumatic stress syndrome. And uh, as I also alluded to before, Judy is a woman who is struggling in many ways with her own sorrow, with her shame, with her self-condemnation, and hasn't shared this with anyone. So, I mean, the, the, the story is quite complex, the way it was put together, and um, a lot of twists and turns that you wouldn't expect. I'll expose some, uh, despite Kimberly's uh, uh, very gracious offer not to expose the plot. I think we can, we can dig into at least one level of it, and you'll understand what happens is that uh, Judy and George, her husband, who had been in marriage counseling for years and years and years, are called uh, by what they think is the pastor to their church to do a little marriage counseling. And um, the uh, pastor doesn't show up. And so George takes off and goes home to watch a basketball game. And Judy stays in the church, hoping the pastor will show up. She's struggling this night, very important night in her life. That I won't give away. But um, then who should appear but Kimberly in the role of what Judy thinks is the church counselor. And uh, Kimberly can elaborate on this a little bit more, but Judy then engages with her and she engages with Judy. And as they dialogue and as they interact with each other, you find out that in fact, the church counselor is not a church counselor at all. The role that Kimberly plays is the daughter that was aborted 30 years ago and that this is taking place in a dream. And in this dream, God has sent this young woman, the church counselor, we call her, because Judy never gave her a name when she aborted her. They go back and forth. They hold to their line that God honors the sanctity of life. Judy has embraced the talking points of Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry to defend her emotion, to protect herself, and to justify the choice that she made, which really, as it turns out, and is exposed in the play, was not a choice at all, because she has a very famous line um, that's, you know, maybe, gee, are you, are you where you can give us your line about... You know, Without the I will truth. not. I will not give away my lie. <laughs> <laughs> Without the truth, but only the lie. Yeah. Women have no choice. Only the lie. So that's the approach we take to dealing with choice. If it's really a choice, then we need to know the truth on both sides of the conversation. So I'll stop going with that. And of course, George, as um, Scott pointed out, has been on the receiving end of what a very wounded woman can do in terms of becoming very vitriolic and angry and kind of taking it out as many of us do on the people who are closest to us, people in the family. And once uh, Judy actually breaks through, surrenders her life to Christ, then she's transformed, as you might expect. And the marriage is restored. And they can tell you a little bit about, more about the critical moments in the play when that happens. But Kimberly, what, uh, how would you describe the interaction between you and Judy when you first encountered her? Oh, it's, it's very defensive, very closed off. She's, she is very suspicious even, um, just not knowing who I am, especially meeting with a normal, you know, with pastor. If you're meeting with someone, it takes time to build up a rapport with someone, especially when you're dealing with um, personal issues. And she is wondering who I am, why I'm there, and is very hesitant at first to even open up to me. But she realizes that she needs to talk about this. This is causing her so much anguish that it's, it's desperate almost to go ahead and just start sharing and talking with someone. And so I happen to be that person there that night. So um, as we go along in the conversation and um, as we go back and forth with each other, 
I would say she first starts initially with anger, uh, frustration, suspicion, um, definitely defensive. I, it takes quite a bit of time for me to be able to get her to kind of trust and open up to me. And then it turns into, um, wait a minute, she, she knows a little bit more about me than anyone. And that's kind of a little creepy <laughs> because how can you know things about me? And I've just, I'm just meeting you for the first time this night, you know? So then it starts to, then she starts to kind of get curious about me. And then I think um, eventually we get to the point where she realizes who I am. And that's where I feel like the true healing is starting to begin or um, take place because she's now realizing, she's now willing and accepting of, of truth. And she also feels bad because she understands that there were things that she did and made decisions and accepted certain certain lies and things like that, unfortunately. And, um, but ultimately I think she wants, she just wants to love me, you know, since she, she never met me. And so being able to have the chance to, you know, meet your unborn child, um, there is this sweetness, I think, that takes place between the two of us. So, yeah, that's what I would say the journey is. It's a very happy ending, as mm -hmm. George can tell you. He's the one that gets the happy ending. <laughs> so who would like to share uh, about your, your journey of performing the one-act play Viable? How, how have you experienced God through this creative process? Scott, what struck you when... Well, yeah. what urgings did you feel? So many things have occurred for me during the course of working on this play, but a few things that stand out are, well, first of all, in the play itself, the strong acknowledgement that abortion isn't just a woman's issue and the fact that men have a role to play, obviously, in that. And then subsequently, the number of audience members <clears throat> who have spoken on that particular piece that, wow, yeah, men involved, important point. That and the fact that um, so many of our audience members have come up to us to basically confess or you know talk about the struggles that they've had with their own decisions that they've made uh, in the course of their lives around abortion. It's been very, um, it's been eye-opening. It's, it's been emotional. Um, just, it, it speaks to, I think, a lot of the pain that's going on in our country uh, around this issue. And so, talks a lot yeah, about the conversation uh, that this promotes. Yes. He gets a lot of people coming out. I always say that Giselle has sort of an Oprah effect on the audiences. Everybody wants to come and confess to her. And we have been told many, many, many times as we travel across the country in those 13 and a half thousand miles that um, people have never confessed that they had abortions before. And they write us letters and emails about the fact that this play caused them to come forward where they never would have come forward before because they didn't feel anyone understood them. And this cast that you're talking to right now, Jacob, is uh, very good at helping them to co-experience what they're watching happen on stage. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, uh, G, but you know she's the one who those kind of approaches. Well, no worries. And, and for me, the conversation is very important and it's, we have to be able to have the conversation, whether we see things the same way or not, whether we see eye to eye, or whether we understand what one's thoughts may be, we have to be able to have the conversation. We've also had some unique experiences where, you know, somebody that would have been a Kimberly comes up to her as well and said, I would have been you um, if, my, if my parents had been able to really go through with, or if it had happened, something happened and it didn't take place. So, you know, sometimes there's been the unique experience with Kimberly to talk to someone that would have been, you know, that child that didn't make it. Uh, it just it just opens up all types of dialogue. It's a, it's a family dialogue as well, because we meet members, we meet brothers and sisters of women that have had abortions that have not spoken or it's put a wedge between them for years and they have not talked because of, of this going on and happening. So 
you know, the, the healing really translates throughout the entire dynamic of the family and um, a, a vast array of emotions that families experience when this does take place that's never talked about. Right. And it's about healing. That's, you know, the play is about, it, it is a healing journey for so many people or it, it begins a healing journey uh, for so many people who see it and then they need to go on and continue that because it's a process as you're aware, Jacob. And many of the people you talk to in doing these podcasts provide that healing. But uh, it begins with uh, where Kimberly starts it with Giselle in the role of Judy, uh, getting her to break through her denial about what's really happened to her and how deeply it's impacted her. And of course, Kimberly, you might want to speak about how that affects you then, because you said that G, you know, in the role of Judy, really wants to love you, but she learned something about you in the process, right? Yes. Um, Giselle mentioned, you know, that I have had opportunities to speak with people that would have been that child. And I actually spoke with a woman. Um, she, you know, survived um, the abortion, the attempt of the abortion. And it was, a, it was actually a privilege to talk to her. I, I really uh, felt honored for her to share that with me because, you know, just knowing that, you know, she endured that, but that she's, she even actually has a relationship with her birth mom um, so many years later. And I think that that's amazing to be able to connect um, even after an experience like that. But for me, I just, um, what, one of the other issues, one of the things that's also important to me is that um, it just, for me, it just shows how much God, oh, he's just so loving of us because the fact that he, you know, she has a hard time just being able to forgive herself for, for this. And he is so forgiving. And it just shows that his, his love shows us how to love. And I know sometimes it's not always easy as human beings to love, but I think having that example it just really helps me. And I try to, you know, it makes me want to try and be loving like him or at least strive to be that way. So um, I think it's important um, in my role, but also in my personal life as well. So when it comes to helping someone from the point of needing healing with the need deeply buried to the point of sharing their story and voicing their need, uh, I can imagine there are a lot of emotions and tears at these events. What has been your experience talking to people, hearing their story, their pain, and seeing them open the door for relief, possibly through tears? He was talking about the, the fellow who had not spoken, who came up to us in Texarkana, Texas, of all places, um, at a Baptist church after the play and he was really in tears and he was a big guy he didn't look like somebody who would be sobbing but he was sobbing and uh the uh, uh explanation he gave through his tears was that he hadn't spoken to his sister for 20 years that's what she was alluding to and that after seeing the play something about live theater something about being in the room with these actors and these actors um portraying these characters the struggles that the characters are um, battling against and what happens to them and, and how they respond to each other and how they respond to the stimulus um, makes it very, very real to people where it hasn't been real before. And that guy through his tears said, I haven't spoken to my sister for 20 years, but after seeing this tonight, I know I have to forgive her. I have to go straight to her now and forgive her. This was wrong of me to treat her that way because I understand now much more succinctly, he didn't use the word succinctly, but he understood then in that moment far more about what his sister went through and what she had to deal with than he ever did before. Hmm. That makes sense. And G, um, Scott was talking about men in the play, uh, the yeah. play where she goes out into the, to the uh, lobby and comes back very quickly um, as, as part of the scene in the opening of the play. And when we were premiering the play in South Carolina, she went out into the lobby and we knew people were gonna be sad. We knew that people were gonna be in tears. Um, there was no question about that. We knew that from previews and from rehearsals. 
that this was going to have a large impact. That Judy goes off stage uh, as part of her scene, prepares to come back on stage. And what did you encounter, G? Well, I mean, there was a there was a there was an older gentleman out there, and he he had left out, and he just he said he couldn't do it. He said, "I just can't do it. I can't. It's just it's too much for me. It's too heavy." And you know, my 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 nurturing was was to immediately console him, but. I had to get myself, I'm like, you got to go back, you got to go back on stage. So, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, the process of dealing with healing, whether it's over grief um, from, from a loved one, whether it's over a divorce, whether it's over, there's a process to dealing with grief and with healing. And I think even though, you know, this particular uh, piece addresses, you know, we're dealing with what has happened to a post-abortive woman and her journey and what's gone on, I think a lot of people, when they see this show, uh, it, it starts a conversation with them to process grief, whatever type of grief it may be, that they may not have yet dealt with in their lives. And, you know, there people, people are layered. And, and sometimes we've gone deep, like John was saying about the gentleman that for 20 years had not spoken to his sister. So, you know, this, this gives a safe space, if you will, for people to process and, and start dealing with emotions, even though they're in an audience, they end up being an audience of one. And so they have to introspectively uh, consider what we're placing before them in a safe space. So how has this one act play viable impacted your relationship with God? How have you experienced the, the emotions of serving God through this creative avenue, helping bring um, healing to someone? How have you experienced God through these performances? Oh, I've experienced God in the way of, um, I mean, the way that I approached the role of um, the counselor, I initially wanted to portray her as someone who was kind, um, someone who would not automatically like make her feel bad, you know, because I think sometimes, um, unfortunately, we can do that. We can, you know, we have our idea of how things should go and our opinions and views. And so immediately we want to just, ah, tat, you know, and jump on someone. And I think that that is, that we have to be careful about that because we could cause more damage than good. So I would definitely want it to take my time with her. And, um, you know, I think it was good doing that but also just in my own life um like I feel like I want to be able to be there sometimes it's just good to be there for someone because I mean obviously a counselor is someone who's, who does a lot of listening they do you know put questions in there and pose you know things to think about but a lot of it is listening and I think it was important for Judy to be able to feel like she could she could speak she could say what she needed to say and I think it's important that we have the right people, you know, trying to, that's why I think it's good that we have people there, organizations there that are able to offer support because you don't want to have anybody who, you know, is going to be trying to attack this, but people who know kind of what they're doing, they know how to slowly do that process and help that person walk through it. And most important, I think, is it takes time for healing. So I think that's one thing we have to definitely remember. And we also have to remember that um, it's okay. You know, it's, you're going to have those up moments, your down moments when you're going through the, it's a process. So it's not always going to just be a walk in the park. It's going to be up and down. So we have to be able to be, um, kind to ourselves as well. Yes. Yes. And in addition, in addition to that, it takes acknowledgement for healing. Uh, you know, Judy had to, she had to own and acknowledge what she was dealing with that she denied for a very long time. And, you know, acknowledgement is part of the process sometimes that people do not necessarily want to, to deal with because of worrying about being condemned or worrying about being judged. And, you know, one of the things I always say is, you know, grace is space. We have to give people grace to grow. We have to understand that everybody in their, in their Christian journey is not where we are, everybody with their witness. We're all in different spaces and places traveling along this journey to where the Lord would have us to go. But part of our job is still to help push one another forward with the journey, whatever that may mean or look like how we handle and have the conversations with the different people that, you know, we want to talk to, we want to encourage, we want to love on, we want to, you know, Kim, you know, the counselors oftentimes she has to get really firm with Judy. And, and initially there was some struggle 
with her with her you know doing that and as she as as you watch the characters evolve in this in this one act because all three characters evolve you you see where they go that they adjust and deal emotionally because they know what the other character needs in order for them to get to where they need to go you know she she was Kimberly's talking about how she I believe that she wants she wants to love me and she gave me the opportunity and the space to express that to her and then that gave resolution to her even in the dream as she was like you know we'll meet again someday it 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 um uh George wants to love Judy but but he can't no matter what he does because of the pain that's inside of her hurting people hurt people so getting to the the root of what was going on that he has no knowledge of what's going on puts up another box where, where he couldn't move so giving giving the space for people to be vulnerable be broken and I'm, I'm talking about in, in our journey because you know when we travel with one another we have conversations we have great conversations where we may challenge one another in certain thoughts where we put you know what we see in it and where we, we talk about things scripturally and talk about the word and and practical application of it in our lives and and you know this this show is is extremely emotional as as you said i, I know for me once i go through all the range of emotions that judy has in this show i am spent and i've even seen some people come up after the show and say I know you're tired because I'm tired. <laughs> so, so, you know, the conversation is the important thing for us in discipleship and, and, and giving that example of Christ for people to want to be part of the body, because quite frankly, right now, our examples aren't always the best ones. And people, people feel like I can do bad all by myself. I don't have to come to church for this. I can, you know, I can get this. So, you know, as, as, um, as that church without a spot or wrinkle comes forth, because this is time for the church to elevate and rise in, in, as far as I'm concerned, then we have to be able to have these conversations and to, that will draw all men unto, unto thee. Jesus did things in parables and stories. So this is a parable and it's a story that, that puts the information there and challenges the people that are there. So what do you get and what are you going to do with it? And like I mentioned before, the power of fear, the power of actually watching Giselle do this, watching Kimberly do this, watching Scott do this live in front of you uh, for just over an hour, leaves people really, really wrung out emotionally, as you pointed out. Uh, we've never not had a standing ovation for this, but on the way to that, there have been lots and lots of Phoenixes consumed. Um, by people who are crying. There's also a lot of laughter. There's a lot of fun in the show. There's laughter, but there are also tears. So there's a whole range of emotions. And uh, to Giselle's point, when we talk about the church, I mean, this is one of the things God wrote, I believe, into this play was a reprimand for the church for not showing up and being front and center in this conversation, in the even broader conversation that Giselle was referring to. And since they have not been, um, they get dealt with a little bit in the play, um, pointing out things that the church failed to do, which uh, did not come to the aid of the children, did not come to the aid of the preborn. And um, without that, then the church really usurped its role. Scott has some dialogue actually about that in. Uh, in his fifth and final scene of the show, Scott, what are some of the things that you find um not acceptable about the church's role in all this well for one thing we don't talk much about the holy spirit in this church <laughs> resonates with the audience i can hear the breath yeah. coming from the audience when i hear that but one of the things that i was going to to, to say is in addition to uh what uh, giselle and kimberly were talking about relative to um just the myriad of emotions that people obviously are feeling during this play. Um, I've, I've grown to recognize the ignorance, if you will, that, that's out there in society around what abortion really is. And 
I just keep imagining uh, us doing this play in front of a pro-choice audience because I would really want to hear what they would have to say about their position after observing the play. And let's just talk about mm -hmm. the fact that in the play, the definition of what an abortion is, is graphically um, illustrated by uh, Kimberly's character and it's undeniable. So it would be interesting to see how you hear that with all of the emotions surrounding it and then turn around and say, okay, so talk, let's talk about pro-choice. I'd really like to see how that would turn out. Hmm. Sanctity of life is a thread that definitely comes through it. And we point out in, in the dialogue that, you know, even though, for example, the current living daughter that George and Judy have was raised in the church, went to Sunday school in the church, she was never taught in the church about the sanctity of life. So the church has not put a flag in the ground when it comes to teaching the young people um, about what they sh should consider biblically and how God speaks to them, you know, Jeremiah 1.5 and how they were formed in the womb and Psalms 139 and all of the biblical references to the children, the unborn, the preborn, um, and the miracle of God working in children. Unless they're taught about that, you know, in direct reference to the fact that children can be destroyed, uh, they won't have a broad enough basis to really have a legitimate conversation on the subject. Well, we've talked about, we've also talked about before that the conversation even goes deeper because before you get to abortion, you have to, you know, and you, you have to talk about the sanctity of life. And when you're talking about the sanctity of life, you have to be willing to talk about sexual relationships. And when you're talking about sexual relationships, you have to be willing to talk about intimacy and, and, and taking all of these things to the word of how God even established um, relationship between man and woman in marriage and family and valuing that valuing the, the intimacy and understanding that yes, God did create sex. He created it to be in, in, this, in, in this vessel of marriage. And this is why, because of the powerfulness, because of the beauty, because of all. And these are the conversations we really need to have with our young people before we can even get to, you know, if there, there are a lot of conversations we can be having in the church that if we have them and, 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 and there's a regard for relationship. We, it's, it's very difficult, I would think, I believe, to talk to young people about these things. And this is even in teaching young people when, you know, they may be seeing tension or certain conversations not taking place at home between their parents. Certain things that aren't happening. So, you know, mom and dad don't really act like they like each other. I, how do they love each other? And they can't even, I've never seen dad and mom hug. I've never, I've never seen him, him show, you know, th that he re reveres her as a queen or her treat him like a king. So there, there, there are a lot of different things that, you know, go to the root of what has to be established for even us as a church to have the conversation at that level and, and talking to our young people and even grown people because young people, there's so much information they have today. They have, and not that it's good information, but they have access to information. The internet, TikTok, YouTube, you, you, you name it, they've got it. And when they're not getting it at home, they're gonna look for it in other places or with their peers or in, in other settings that might not necessarily present to them the truth of what things are. And so, and, and also the best presentation is going to be us as the people of God when they see their parents, when they see their families, when they see, and of course we all have familiar issues, again, that need a conversation. So the church has to have a willingness to talk no matter how difficult the subject may be. There's an answer in the word for every difficult conversation that we need to have as it relates to our, our young people, our families and, and the church body. And we, we have to be able to talk about the difficult issues that just might make us blush a little bit, but there's still things that God talks about in the word. And everything in Bible points back to Jesus Christ. That's, that's the, the center, the anchor of what this story is about is um, 
a very wounded, as Giselle said, a hurting woman that hurts other people becomes and is transformed into a loving woman who knows that she's loved by Christ, not condemned by Christ. And the forgiveness and the mercy plays out in transforming her heart. And that's one of the things that you watch in the character arc that she plays. George is the same way. The only person who's the same at the end of the play that uh, she was at the beginning is, is uh, the role that Kimberly plays as the, you know, what Judy perceives as a church counselor because she came from God. She's already been with God ever since she was aborted. So she knows the word of God. She knows God intimately, personally. And so she doesn't need to, to be transformed in, in her role. Her role is to come and be um, a vessel in transforming Judy. And Judy then turns and becomes a vessel in transforming George. Would you say that, George, that, that that's what happens to you? Oh, without a doubt. He finds out a secret he never knew and uh, doesn't respond well to it initially. Well, one of the things about George, even though he's very, very um, in love and trying to, to show love to Judy, uh, he's also very self-centered. And it's when he realizes- I'm so glad you're owning that, George. <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he realizes that, you know, the abortion occurred and then has that moment of realization that yeah, but if I had been there, I would have done and said the same thing. It's like, wow, I'm as much of a sinner as anybody else, and I have to repent. That's a big moment, I think, that a lot of men uh, recognize in the play. Hmm. I was going to say something about showing love, and I just wanted to just, because um, Judy and George, they have a dog. And she is going to be, um, she's pregnant. So the thing is, is that we were saying how you are able to be an example of love from one person to the next to the next. So you show an example of Jesus through your own life. But if you think, you know, she has a decision that she has to make as well. She's not sure, you know, if they're going to keep the baby or, you know, what other options they're going to have. But um, Judy really feels passionate about her daughter knowing all of the options that are available. But I think seeing the transformation, um, that's the true revelation of being able to see the transformation of Judy from when she was this angry, bitter, you know, sad person to this person who's now loving and hopeful and things like that. And her daughter being able to see that and knowing what she went through, but now seeing this transformation, I think it will also impact her decision um, on what she chooses to do next in her pregnancy. So all of these issues, as you can see, are right in the wheelhouse of Women's Resource Centers, the healing programs, uh, the Linda Cochran Forgiven and Set Free, Care Nets, uh, Making Life Disciples, and, and the programs that go on and on and on and on are all there because of the tremendous need for this healing. And that's one of the reasons this play is so popular with those groups and why when they bring, instead of you know necessarily another speaker after dinner to their gala or their fundraiser, to have dinner theater and people actually watch this go on not a lot of people uh weep the way they weep uh when they're listening to a speaker the way they weep when they watch mm -hmm. form viable so it's very powerful very transformative emotionally and, and that's important to them and it also very interestingly enough um and there's some research behind this that was actually published in the wall street journal that when people are experiencing theater and then asked to give, like, for example, to the charity Broadway Cares in New York. Uh, after watching a, a theatrical performance, people give more money, according to the research, and uh, I'm just more willing to be generous uh, overall. We did this program when we did it for the South Carolina Citizens for Life Proudly Pro-Life Gala. They broke all the records for attendance in uh, the history of that event. And they raised more money that night than they ever had before. And now we know why. It's because the way that people experience theater and dinner theater is very, very different than the way they experience you know, eating dinner and listening to a speaker and 
writing a check and going home. It's a much more powerful experience, much more memorable, powerful evening when they see what they see in the play viable. It seems like they are experiencing an invitation through story to share their pain, their, their painful past, their abortion story. It makes me think of James 5.16, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. So just speaking out the words, the healing begins. Then that verse goes on to say, the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. I have a feeling you have prayed with some of the people in the audience after the play as a follow-up step. So they may, after they see the play viable and experience the emotion and invitation to share their story, then the next step may be to pray and connect with a post-abortion support group. Um, I would like to ask each one of you, as people are listening to this podcast, how might someone join you in prayer? What are you praying for, for the One Act Play Viable? What is your prayer request? And how might you invite a listener to join you in, in your prayer? As I mentioned, it's a, it's a national ministry. We travel all across the country. We crisscross, crisscross the country doing this. Um, and so we need to have prayers for safety and traveling mercies and for also for the health and the welfare of the cast as they do this work. Um, so everything in the complexity of doing what we do uh, is important and we need the Lord's protection. We need the Lord's guidance. So as Judy um, Giselle was talking about earlier, you know, what we do, uh, we need to do strictly in reverence of God, seeking his kingdom first and everything else comes second to that. So the prayers for us would be that we are remaining in the will of God in this work and keeping this work completely consistent with God's ambition for us, his desires for us, his desires for the preborn, his desires for the fathers and the mothers who suffer when this kind of uh, thing goes on. And so that everything that we do, that's the prayer. We, and and we, we pray before every performance. We pray before most rehearsals, if I remember, uh, when we're rehearsing. And we, uh, uh, we have people in every place we go, standing by to pray and to counsel from local crisis pregnancy centers, women's resource centers, uh, for the people who need that immediate uh, prayer, that immediate counsel. We work with H3 Healthline and Terry Baxter, and those numbers are available to everybody to pick up the phone 24-7, uh, 352 weeks a year. Uh, and they can talk to somebody live right then, anytime, about their experience and what they're going through. And they can point them again, as you pointed out, Jacob, to the healing programs. And we also have uh, what we call Act Two, which, of course, a one act play doesn't have an Act Two, but um, it's a healing journey, which is a short workshop style healing experience that helps people who have just gone through the play, watching the play and what they can do to get their feelings and their emotions out into a safe place. And then they can move forward with the healing process. So um, I'll turn it back over. I would, I would also say the prayer would be for, for access, um, access and resources. And I say access from the standpoint of doing, uh, doing healing theater and Christian theater. A lot of times people don't, don't think that we can we can do. They don't understand that you know it's okay for them to spend or put the expenses into a speaker and do various different things, but they don't understand how what we do does what it what it does. So I, I I'd say that that prayers for access to the ears that are decision makers and people that have the resources that allow us to go forward and take this message wherever it needs to go, however it needs to go. Because um, you know, people don't seem to really get it until they get it, and that's when they they see it or they get the understanding. So they don't understand how this is used as a vehicle to um, to share God's word, to share His love, to share the healing, and and to be able to break down walls and and boundaries, so conversations can begin. Yeah, very well said. 
Um, I would say that just pray for God to to open the hearts of um, the people that are going to be the ones that can open that door for people to see the show because I think you know just having sometimes you hear it and you hear about it and you're like oh well uh, it's nice but that would I hope you guys do well you know I hope that things go good and so forth but I think it's you know God has to speak into um, the people that are going to be the ones that are kind of the um, agreed the movers um, that can open those doors to have allow people to access and just the willingness to say, you know what, okay, let's give this a chance. Let's let's bring this in and um, let God do the work, you know, so. Yeah, and I would just add that, uh, like Giselle said about access and extend that definition to um, make this experience available for those who really need to see it. Yes. Giselle says that all the time. You know, God's going to put the people in the audience who need to see this. The people that need to see it are going to be there. And uh, so we trust him for that. And we know that he's faithful for that and how much he loves everyone who's had these kind of stressful traumatic experiences. He's going to bring them healing. And we're, we're so blessed to be a part of that. And I want to give Kimberly one more chance to answer a question you asked earlier. Jacob about you know, what's God's role in this. Her character has to preach an eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose gospel message to a woman who's fighting back against it as hard as she can in this play. And if she weren't a strong, committed believer herself, um, even though the dialogue is there for her on the page of the script, she brings that to life in a terribly powerful way um powered and enlivened by the holy spirit in her is that how does that feel kimberly when you do that and what is that message well um you know for forgiveness i definitely think is a huge it's a huge part um accepting forgiving yourself but accepting the forgiveness of god that god forgives you that god loves you no matter what i think are all essential things that i'm um saying through the holy spirit speaking through me to judy and you know even there's a part in the play where she's like even after what i did you know and it's like no matter what you do as long as you confess and surrender your life to him and accept him as your personal lord and savior you will live in his presence in perfect peace forever and so just being willing to confess what happened, acknowledge it, admit it, being able to surrender it over to the Lord, and then um, accepting him into your life and accepting the love that he has for you and accepting that he forgives you and that we as human beings, we do make mistakes, but he is a forgiving God, a loving God. So, so we don't mince any words about that. <laughs> That's where God is in this play, right in the center. So I have one last question. Have the tears at the end of the play been infectious? Um, like, have you found yourself in tears when you experience the audience in tears? Maybe I don't, not. I don't, I, well, I can't, I can't connect to the audience like that and be focused. No. <laughs> I'm sure when, when somebody comes up and they may, they may be crying and I console them, you know, when I'm, when I'm hugging or, or ministering and saying, you know, we appreciate, um, I just, like I said, I'm spent by the end. Yeah. So I'm, I'm consoling and I'm giving myself up and I'm giving my, my body. I, I don't even know if it'd be anything in me to cry. <laughs> this is over, not, not my character yeah. because she has, she has really gone through a roller coaster. You yeah. know, so I, I do love talking to the audience at the end, hearing their stories, um, praying with them if they, if they like. Uh, like Kimberly said, you know, guiding them to resources that are available, taking as much time as we can to, to spend with them and honor them for sticking around at the end and wanting to talk to us and share their stories or ask questions or whatever they have. We always, we always stay for the after party, as, as I'll call it, with the, with the show, to be able to interact with the audience. I mean, because that's, that's one of the best parts. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't end Sadly, it ends transformation and surrender to Christ. And that's a very happy ending. And with the marriage with George reconciled, which is a very happy ending. 
and uh, she's had this gift from God to meet Kimberly's character and to know that she's loved by her daughter and by Jesus Christ himself. George, do you ever cry? <laughs> After I get a kiss at the end? Of course not. <laughs> no, I, I would say that, um, I don't know if this sounds odd, but it to me it's encouraging when I see people getting emotional because that says that it hit the right spot. That's true. And I do. And I hug a lot of men around the country after these plays. I remember this play, not just in the Texarkana show, but others in other cities and other places. And yeah, I do cry with them sometimes because their emotion is so obvious and uh, exposed and how deeply that this has affected them and impacted them. So there's a little bit of sharing, but that comes from that interaction between the person. As Giselle said, we do after talks sometimes and sit in a panel and talk about the show and talk about what it's about and talk about how it impacts people. And people come up and talk to us. Sometimes it's hard for us to get out of the theater um, because people just want to stay and talk and stay and talk. I remember in Washington, D.C., we I think we're there almost an hour longer than we anticipated being because they just people wouldn't stop talking. And uh, it was great to have that interaction with them, but you know, they, they just go through so much. It's hard to describe. You have to be there, you have to do it, you have to experience it or talk to somebody who's experienced it. That's why when people go to the website to um, read the reviews, these testimonies of what people have gone through and what this has meant to them and what this has brought to light in their lives, it's very, very powerful. Those testimonies themselves might make people cry when they read them. I know they very, they impact me very powerfully. Wow. Thank you for uh, for being on the podcast. I really have enjoyed hearing about this creative, beautiful invitation for people to find healing. And also, it's um, it's amazing that it's also a fundraiser at the same time. It's like a multifaceted blessing to further the culture of life uh, built around healing. And I'm excited to see it in person in Missouri, um, I think in about two months. And so I'm looking forward to that. Um, so places around yeah. the country where we're appearing, are, that's on the website too. You can go on the website and see where we're going to be performing for various places. Thank you for being on the podcast. I think this story of hope and creativity and healing is just so awesome to, to hear and to share. Thanks for having us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, hopefully, people that hear this will join you in prayer as you bring the one hacked play viable to one community at a time. Oh, and
pathways for your name. 